wanted me to share, so a couple things is, uh, my goal is not to bore you, number one. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit about the heart on why this started, what the story behind it. And I feel sorry for all the creative students that I don't know how many times they've heard this. So forgive me for, for hearing it. So, um, and then, but uh, several have mentioned that they wanted uh, people associated with Life Academy, wanted to hear kind of what created is all about, which would help, I guess, bring some clarity. So you get a big picture of what we're trying to do. So that's what I'll do tonight. Um, as far as the heart behind it, they wanted me to share that as well and how it got started. Um, so I'll just begin there. Um, I always start the story with anybody that knows me. You can talk to my parents growing up. Um, this would probably be the last place or last thing they would ever see me doing. Uh, I hated school uh, with a passion. Um, and and um, Which... Strange enough, it's probably, there's an element to that that probably makes me qualified to some extent to do this because I was bored, um, I was uninspired, and consequently I underachieved. Probably a lot of people felt similar. Um, but um, I was smart enough, I knew how to get through the system, and I made my way through the system. Uh, I ended up graduating from a, I think what, why I dislike school so much now that I look back is because, and this will make sense later, is because everything felt real fragmented to me. Um, it just, nothing made sense. Everything was just, they just like random courses that they, this is something you have to do. And so everything felt random, hodgepodge, just taking random courses. And, um... And that's why, you know, I didn't see any reason to any of this. So, um, but I, I made my way through the system. And I went, ended up graduating from a Christian university, but I was spiritually dead. I had no direction in my life, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and going back to this idea of this is the last thing I ever would have pictured myself in. I think part of it too, you guys, and this is something I've shared even with created students, the idea, especially at your age, the idea, or most of you, the idea of coming out of college or college age, that this pressure that you've been placed on you, that I've got to find my dream job. Um, and even the pressure before you go to college, that you need to find your dream job or know what it is so you know what to major in. Um, I think is a bad message because I've come to find out that we don't, we're still trying to find out who we are. We don't know who we are. Even when we're done with college, we don't know who we are. And so this idea of a dream job, this would have been dead last on my dream job. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. This would have been dead last. But we have this pressure and the thing is, uh, but here I am. And because the reason why I didn't know myself and all of a sudden I go along in life and I find out more about myself and all of a sudden I find myself loving something I never would thought I would have loved. It's always been there, but it took time for God to bring it to the surface. So this, uh, this pressure that I've got to find it before and even right after college, you just get started in life and you'll find out more about yourself, what you love and don't love, your strengths. You'll find those things out. And it's why, honestly... I don't know if you knew this, but 75% of all people that graduate are not working in the industry that they got their major in. 
It's because of this. They don't yet fully know themselves. And you're going to come to find out a whole lot more about yourself as you go on and get started in life. And you'll find yourself moving in directions you may never have thought you would have before. So that was a little sidetrack. But I graduated, um, just no direction, uh, kind of spiritually lost as well. Um, my, my parents recognized it, so they mentioned this place called YWAM. And um, in Hawaii, it sounded, I'd never heard of it, but it was Hawaii. That's where I actually met Makana when she was about this big. Isn't that crazy? And then McConnell, when she was that big. <laughs> so, um, so, um, trying to remember where I lost my train of thought. Where was I? I was in YWAM. Yeah, so I went kind of as a, I didn't know what to do with my life. So I went there as kind of, well, it sounds cool. It's Hawaii. Um, I guess I'll go. So I did go, but um, there was when I was there, everybody has to take the initial first course, no matter what you do in YWAM. You have to take one course to get in. So I did that. Um, most people don't do anything afterwards, but everybody takes that first one. So I did that. And there was one speaker um, that came through that where everything I'm doing now, I can trace back to that one week. Um, what he ended up doing is gave me a passion for God's word that I'd never had before. So, but that passion never subsided. It continued to grow. So it was after that I decided a few years later, Missy and I were married at this point, and she did it with me. We decided to enroll in a school of biblical studies there. And it was there that I was introduced. It was a nine-month course, but I was introduced to another kind of education, one that I'd never you know, experienced before. Um, so it was a nine-month course, and I was introduced to what we call a modular program, and that's where you only studied one subject at a time. And so I, 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 Missy and I did that. We did this as students, but we also ended up teaching in that class afterwards. So I experienced that as a student, and I experienced it as a teacher. And I saw the benefits when you can, when you, when you're, you're able to focus just on one thing. You're not spread between five or six subjects and trying to juggle five papers, five tests, and all this kind of stuff. So I saw the, the benefits of that, and I saw also the um, another one I was, uh, we were introduced to a cohort model of education. And that's where, for those nine months, we never changed classes, we never changed classmates, we never changed teachers. So again, I experienced that as a student and as a teacher, and I saw the difference that makes when you have more of a personal relationship with your students, that you don't just know them in passing. And I saw what a difference that makes. You know, you have just more of a vested interest. You want them to do well because of the relationship you have with them. Uh, so I, I experienced that. And then also was experience, we experienced what I call a method-driven versus a lecture-driven education. And what they did for us it was, a, I think, a three-week seminar where they taught us how to study the Bible for ourselves. And then this only assignment, we took that method, and we had to apply it to every book of the Bible, basically. And so what ended up happening in the course of nine months, this is what happens when you focus. We went through the Bible five times in nine months, and we wrote our own commentary for the whole Bible Whoa. in nine months. And so um, at the end of those nine months, 
they assessed us with Princeton's Masters of Divinity exam. Now, this isn't their undergraduate exam. This was an Ivy League graduate exam that you, uh, they couldn't graduate unless they passed it. So it's kind of their mini bar exam, so to speak. And they knew it's coming and they have tutors to help them prepare for this test. The gentleman that started the course that I was taking, his brother worked at Princeton. So his brother sent the test and also the statistics at Princeton. Now, I never verified the statistics, but what, we, what they told us was you had to score above a 60 at Princeton and about, uh, they said only about 50% passed on their first attempt, meaning 50% failed on their first attempt and they could take it, I guess, several times. Um, so they gave it to us uh, on the last day of class as a pop test. We didn't, we didn't even know it was coming. It was just sitting on our tables. They, they didn't tell us what it was. They said, here, just take this. So we took it, and what we found is 100% passed on the first attempt, with the majority scoring above an 80. And I also, when Missy and I taught it, it uh, we, we also gave the test to the group of students, and that one student failed. And so this got my, back then, this, this got my wheels rolling. If these principles about staying together as a cohort, studying just one subject at a time, being method-driven, and I just had this idea, if this works so well for studying the scriptures, why not apply the same principles to every subject? And so, um, but there was one other part that really captures the heart of um, really underneath created. And what was, I think, extremely important, um, um, when, when I was a student in created, we were going through... We were in Deuteronomy. I always forget the verse. People tell me I find it and I forget it every time. But it's, um, it was one weird verse that um, it's just after I read that, I started reading the Bible differently from that point on. And it was about how God took, uh, t- commanded the Israelites to take their body waste outside of the camp and bury it. And um, it's a weird verse, of course. But the idea that came to my head, I didn't have these words. I didn't know how to formulate these words. I, and it was, I, but it was, it was more along the lines of I just, I guess I also always saw things like sanitation and healthcare, and people in those industries was were working more of a secular job. Um, you know, you have the church job, the ministry, and then you have the secular jobs like sanitation and healthcare, and name among other things. And, and I had that idea that, you know, this is talking about sanitation and healthcare. What's, what would society be like without it? Mm-hmm. Um, how much better off we are and how much more we flourish in our health because of sanitation. <coughs> that this idea of this sacred secular divide, I didn't know how to put it in those words. But it was after that that I started looking things differently. And it was like, wow. This seems to be talking about government. Wow, this seems to be talking about economics. This seems to be talking about art and beauty uh, when going through the Bible. And my understanding of God just started to grow. I didn't know what was happening to me. It wasn't until I finished the course that somebody gave me, my dad gave me a book on biblical worldview, which is a common today. But back when we were going through, it wasn't a common term. 
But they actually started to define, they put definition to what was happening to me. So they defined what was going on. But as I was going, but for me, it was always, God to me was nothing but a salvation God to me. That's all he was. I never knew the God of history. I never knew the God of science, the God of art, the God of music, the God of government, the God of law, the God of economics. You know, the whole idea of Jehovah Jireh, our provider, you know, this whole concept of God being our... I never knew this God. He was just a salvation God. And all of a sudden, when I caught a glimpse of that, then I think what was always... This is what I'm saying. It's one piece that I started to discover about myself. Um, All of a sudden, I had an appetite. I found having an appetite for learning that I never had before. Because I realized that God was the source that unified all knowledge. And that the more I learned, the bigger God became. And so I had this insatiable appetite now, a reason to finally learn. And so I just threw myself with the education I never had growing up. Reading everything I could get my hands on. Eventually even moving towards the great books. And reading and trying to get an understanding, a grasp of the world God's created, him just really trying to grasp reality itself and became passionate about it. Um, after several years of doing this, you know, I had that idea that, you know, I'd grown up in a Christian home. Um, I graduated from a Christian college. And if I had never heard these things before, probably others were like me. Come to find out that was the case. And I ended up creating a 12-credit course for the University of Nations in Hawaii, uh, Biblical Worldview, hoping that what happened to me would happen, I would see happen to my students. Um, And that was the case. That I had students that failed junior college go through the course only to finally get excited about God and learning that went on to finish and complete their master's degree. So it was, but it was similar. They started to see for the first time there was a reason to learn, and what was underneath it was God being the source <coughs> that unified all knowledge. And actually, the more we learn, the bigger God becomes. And it was that motivation that I think was underlying what's been missing um, in much of education today. So to make a long story short, um, the vision continued to grow, and there was one very influential book. Some of you may have read it that I guess opened my eyes to really the extent of culture today. And it was called Closing the American Mind, Alan Bloom. It was a New York Times bestseller. But um, he painted a picture that opened my eyes to say, okay, the extent, this is going to be much, much more is going to be needed the degree that we've been conditioned to, to believe certain things. So uh, it was from there, the vision grew to really what we have today, but the heart behind it was um, that we can know God in a way, um, and I continue to have that same appetite to learn because God's becoming more clear, if that makes sense, and bigger. And it's just such a motivation um, to learn. So it's developed to what we have today. 
and I'll run down real quick now, if that's all right. Is it too late? Okay. To give a big picture of, I won't keep too long, but a big picture of the program itself and what we ended up creating. Um, we're always trying to get better, but at least you'll see the heart slash the ideal of what we're trying to do. Um, All right, let's see. Is it coming up? <laughs> Sweet. Um, so I'll move on from there, but I'll, I'll frame it in, uh, in the idea of an experiment. <laughs> in 2011, we had about 26 brave souls. Makana, are you in there? No, oh, my dad. Your dad's in there. <laughs> oh, we had uh, 26 brave souls and three faculty that set out on an educational experiment that we wanted to bring something and try something that really hadn't been done, at least recently. We tried to take the best educational philosophies that we've learned over the years. We borrowed a lot from the Hebrews. We borrowed some from the Greeks and a lot of, as well as some of the modern Protestant tradition. But we tried to take some of the best educational pedagogies that we could find and bring them in to and try this educational experiment. From there, we had these 26 brave souls. We had this gentleman right here with the orange. He had a high degree of Asperger's. And um, where he, to the point where he even needed help for people come in to help him dress. So his parents wanted him to come but didn't know if he could. So we said, come try, come try this experiment. And he came, but... His degree of growth was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. We didn't do anything special, but he was having such success in his life that they canceled the other group that was helping him because it was having so much, such a greater effect in his life to the point where um, we were getting on the, our bus to go to Italy because we go to Italy in our program to study the fine arts. His parents just broke down in tears because they never thought he would be able to do something like that. But he went and did a fantastic job. He graduated. And not only that, but he ended up graduating from the University of Minnesota with a degree in nanotechnology. And he's now living on his own with his own apartment, with his own job. And he, his parents thought that they would, he would never be, they would thought they'd have to care for him forever. But I attribute it to the cohort because they treated him just like everybody else. They loved him, and it was genuine. And the thing about treating him like everybody else, that's why it was genuine. They teased him. They did everything they would just like their friends. And when you have somebody that's been, in his case, an outcast his whole life, for the first time he wasn't an outcast. And he came alive. And you just saw it, and he just soared and took off. Um, it was this girl right here, uh, she, she, I met her at Summit Semester, and she was told she would never go to college by her guidance counselor. <laughs> uh, even told the mom that she would probably never be able to make it. She was telling me her story. She was in tears, and she was telling me her story because she wanted to come. I said, look, I convinced her. She had no confidence, and you can wonder why. But I said, come. I said, give it a try. And she came, and she worked hard. 
she graduated, she went on to another college, graduated, and recently finished her master's degree. And she was told she'd never go to college. <laughs> um, and I'll just share one more and move on to as far as the principles we use to apply. Probably the two, I was, I'll just cut it to one, the single greatest student that has ever walked through our doors, and I will argue will ever walk through our doors, <laughs> ever, will be, and that's not a knock on anybody else, I don't think this guy will ever be duplicated. He was a junior college dropout and failed out of junior college. He came, I'm telling you, I don't think anybody will touch him. This extraordinary, extraordinary um, what came alive in him. And just, so I won't go there any further. But what was, but, but we've had several cohorts, of course, since. And there's similar stories throughout. Um, even Katherine Anderson, a recent graduate, I don't know if you heard, but she just got her, what was it, honor scholarship over at Montreat. Um, and so we have similar stories throughout. Uh, but it, I think attribute a lot to some of the principles that we apply. So if I can go through them real quick. We said we, we borrowed a lot from the Hebrews. One being, oops, we said, uh, let's make this about life. That was first and foremost. Let's don't make it, try not to make it about degrees. Try not to make it about credits. Try not to make it about grades. Let's try to make it about life. Because I want these students to develop. It's, that's why this idea of becoming a mature, wise, productive adult. That's our mission. To transition into becoming an adult. Able to stand with their own two feet. Who are mature and they're wise. See, a lot of times college today... It extends adolescence. It's a drunken orgy and you stay a child for four years. We're talking about maturing them to becoming adults. That's the goal. And so listen, let's make it about life. Let's don't try to just make it about grades and a degree. The other thing we said, let's make this a shared, a learned experience. And that goes back to that cohort model of education that I saw work so well. That when you look at the ancients, you look at the Hebrew model of education. Uh, you can look at Christ's model as an example, which wasn't unique. It was a common t way to do it. He was one teacher with 12 students. Now the 12 represented the 12 tribes of Israel, but the point is there were one teacher, 12 students. They all remained together for three years. They never changed classes, classmates, professors. They traveled together, they ate together, they lived together, they learned together, all these things together as a community, which was not uncommon at the time period. So we said, let's make it a shared experience because I think maturity is best done within community. Um, and the way we do it is, we, as you know, we, what I call, and I'll share this, we take this rich human content that I'll explain in a moment. We had lots of human contact which that's the cohort model that you guys have seen. We take, we put them in groups of about 20 and they're joined by faculty mentors and we stay together as one unit. So we say, let's take this content, this human contact, and let's do it now in the most human context. And that's the home. Some of you guys remember the, the video of that there. I've got to change the picture to more recent, but we say, let's do it in the most human context. And um, which I believe is the home. And uh, so that's where, we're now excited about being here and being gathering up homes where the faculty now can be close by. See, before I was 20 minutes away and it was just hard to see one another and have that kind of interaction. So excited about that. 
when I talk about the rich human content, what I mean with that is what the Hebrews really understood is what I've mentioned. There was this unity of knowledge that they started with in the beginning God, dot, dot, dot. And it was there being this idea that God being the source of everything, of course, the source of all knowledge. So they understood there really was a unity to knowledge and that everything was traced back to him. In my opinion, that story, the biblical story, was there at one time in our history. And back in the day, students understood the story and how each subject fit into this bigger whole, this bigger narrative. But what happened when you take away that story, that unifying story, in my opinion, this goes back to what I was saying, everything just fragmented. And it's become a hodgepodge that makes no sense to the student. And that's why I used to say this growing up. You guys may have said the same thing. Why am I doing this? Um, why are you wasting my time? Just let me get to my major. Have you ever heard that? And that's, this is what it comes from. See, this used to be the core. People had a strong, biblically liberal arts-centered education. And the irony of it, we had the founders of this nation that actually built an entire nation, only had a liberal arts education. Isn't that crazy? And we're trying to move people away from it. When it was because of that, they actually were able to build an entire civilization that didn't exist from scratch. Because there was an incredible amount of depth within them to what is the wisest way to build a country, a civilization. And it, the goal of education was always how do we build wise and virtuous people? And what is the subject matter that they need to know to become wise and virtuous? And the reason why... Not everybody had the privilege of going to college. Very few had that privilege. So those that did and were able to go, their thinking is they're going to be our future leaders. What kind of leaders do we want? <clears throat> we want wise and we want virtuous leaders. And that was the heartbeat, that was the purpose, and that was the purpose of the subject matter. I won't go into the story, but when the industrial age hit, we left, how do we create wise and virtuous people, to now how do we create skilled labor for the industrial age? That's why, why do you go to college today? To get a job. Jobs that, that degree says nothing about wisdom. It says nothing about character. So you may be brilliant as a computer engineer major and know all the ends about ins and out about computers. But are you wise about life? Mm -hmm. Do you know what it means to be a human? Mm -hmm. Do you know what it means to be an excellent human? So what we did is we wanted to bring back the story. And by bringing back the story, we say what's, what was once meaningless all of a sudden becomes meaningful again. Because we say without the creation of the universe, physical science doesn't exist. Without the creation of life, biology doesn't exist. Without the creation of man, anthropology doesn't exist. Without the family, sociology doesn't exist. These subjects were never meant to be understood independent of the story, and it's been my argument, we've neutered these subjects from any meaning. And that's why we wonder why they're not interested. 
They try to unify around the, the God of science and progress, only, well, I won't go there, only that <laughs> fell short. And they were left, what are we left with now? But that's a different story. So what we did is we brought back the narrative. These are currently our four semesters. I don't even like to call them semesters because I'm trying to get out of the school mindset. But needless to say, I call them four chapters. The first one is we start with critical thinking. I won't go into detail. But we teach, like I said, you know, how they taught us a, a method on how to study the Bible. And we applied it all the way through. We wanted a similar principle. Let's teach critical thinking method so we can apply it to every subject thereafter. So we teach a method at the beginning, and then they apply it throughout in every subject all the way through. So it's developed. It's software associated with it. I can go into that later if anybody's ever interested. So we start with critical thinking. Then we start to apply it with theology and philosophy, which is the foundation for everything. Then the second chapter focuses on the first events, the creation of the universe and creation of life. So we look at mathematics, the language of the universe, then physical science, the universe, and biology, life. The next semester chapter focuses on the next events, the creation of man, the creation of family. So we study anthropology, which is man, then um, man being made in the image of God, being a co-creator with him. And part of man's call is to create with him. So we understand, we study the fine arts. Once we understand man first and man's call to be a co-creator with him, that's where we have studied in Italy for four to five weeks, in Rome, Florence, and Venice. And then sociology being the family. And then the last semester is creation of a nation, how God took a people group and he molded them into a nation. So it's there, we look at government law together. So it's government law and economics. But it's one at a time, but it's in this sequence. You don't, you're not studying multiple, it's one at a time in this sequence. And it's a story that begins to unveil. And what students walk away with for the first time in their life, for most of them, they now for the first time see the unity of knowledge. And we say, why study this without a context of this? Why study this without a context of this? And why study this without a foundation of that? Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's so fun to watch. Uh, every time you get over in here and how they're all, they're bringing in stuff that they learned here, bringing into the conversation over here, and they start to see the real unity to knowledge. And um, it's just really fun to watch. So the other principle, I can go quick now, but the other principle we thought was important that the Hebrews and the Greeks understood was this concept of beauty. And I think to create beautiful people, let's try to put them in front of beautiful things. And that's why we use more of a great book's primary source. We don't use textbooks. So we try to go back to the, some of the greatest thinkers throughout all of history. We'll read Plato, we'll read Aristotle, we'll read all these, some of the, we go back to the classics, the great minds, the great thinkers. We also use contemporary as well, because I don't want to prejudice against um, there's some really great writers and ideas that have developed, not just back in that day. So, but we use primary sources versus textbooks. The other one is this idea of life skills, this idea of manners, etiquette, respect. We're actually starting to build more of this into it. Um, 
We're also gonna be bringing a whole lot more of, I think you guys are soon gonna be going to an event. Is that right? I don't know soon anyway. But maybe I won't supposed to say anything, but it's coming. <laughs> but um, the cultural events where, you know, we try to put an opera, symphony, orchestras, Broadways coming through. And then we'll have the guys ask one of the girls out and escort them for the evening and just give a great evening and show them, how, you know, how do our best to show how to act in those kinds of situations. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also, of course, I mentioned... Italy, where they come face to face with probably the greatest works of art man has ever created. And to be able to see that, you know, it's one thing when you can see the Sistine Chapel in a book, and it's another one when you're there. Um, Just the awe and wonder of what man is capable of doing, the greatness of man. You know, we always talk about the deformity of man, the sinfulness of man. You know, if that's the only way you see man, you miss it. You miss the entire art module. Because you look at the greatness of man, what man is able to do, the architecture, the art, the sculpture, is just unbelievable to be able to do that. I already mentioned critical thinking, which the Greeks really understood this well. And I think the last one was, um, they said, let's make this more conversational than lecture. And instead of our lectures come in the form of the great books. So the... For example, Plato or Augustine might be given their lecture through the, the critical thinking they unpack what the author's saying. Then when they come to class, I don't need to lecture the content. They've already worked through it, and now we can discuss. So it's more conversational is what we hope. And in the end, you know, it is an AA degree with 64 transferable credits. I put it at the end because this is not the reason why I exist. I want this to be a benefit and I wanted to like, oh, by the way, you also got 64 credits. Yeah. And I want that not to be the reason, mm-hmm. but a benefit mm-hmm. of going through it. So that's the big picture. I hope I didn't bore you, but at least you have a big understanding of what we're trying to do anyway. We're always trying to get better at what we do, but this is the heart of what we're trying.